First and Second Peter um, letters that were written by Peter to the believers that were scattered throughout various regions, and they were scattered because of persecution. When the city of Rome burned, the Romans believed that their emperor Nero had set the city on fire because he had an incredible lust to build things. In their mind, they were sure he was the one that set it on fire because he wanted to build what was destroyed. The Romans were totally devastated when this happened. Their culture, in a sense, went down the drain. I mean, all their religious elements of their life were destroyed. Their great temples, their shrines, even their household idols were burned up. And this had... Um, great implications on the whole city, and um, people were homeless, Um, they were helpless, many had been killed, and a bitter resentment grew. And it was so severe, Nero realized he had to do something to to try to dissuade their hostility, and so... The emperor chose as a scapegoat the Christians. They were already hated because of their association with the Jews and because they were seen as being hostile, if not hostile, opposed to Roman culture. So Nero quickly spread word that it was the Christians that set fire to Rome. As a result, vicious persecution against Christians began. And soon it spread through the entire Roman Empire. Their their hatred that you you aren't really for our Roman culture and to think that you would have set fire to Rome and destroyed what we hold so dear. And this persecution spread throughout all the regions of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia that Peter is writing to the believers in these areas. And Peter calls them pilgrims. Um, most of them were probably Gentiles. Many of them may have come to know the Lord through Paul's missionary journeys. And um, they are in the midst of suffering. I mean, severe persecution. And it is under these circumstances that Peter was inspired of God to write these two letters. And and the two letters have two distinct purposes. And we're just going to quickly go through a little chart to show you the differences. First Peter was written to bring encouragement. They, 
they were very discouraged. I mean, fleeing for their lives and, and in danger, and many were being martyred. Second Peter is written to deal with air, false teachers entering into the church. First Peter was written to provide comfort for suffering saints. <clears throat> so it was, um, as, as I just said, they, they lost many believers. You can imagine, um, just try to imagine if, if we're here today and we're living in, in persecution and animosity and, and we know people are, are being, um, persecuted and martyred, you can imagine if, if next Sunday we show up and, and, and we say, oh, where's so and so? Oh, you didn't hear? They drug him out of town yesterday and, killed him out by Red Haw. I mean, this is the reality of what these believers were do, dealing with. What happened to his family? I don't know. They're scat. We don't know where they are. And so Peter's writing to encourage them to be strong in the faith and to provide comfort. They, they had lost everything, but they had, they had lost loved ones and relatives and fellow brothers and sisters so he, first Peter is to comfort them. Second Peter is to expose false teachers and, and to remind them of that. First Peter emphasizes the suffering of Christ. That yes, you are suffering as persecuted believers and Christ suffered on your behalf as well. Second Peter emphasizes the glory of Christ. First Peter is written to bring hope so that they could face their trials. Second Peter is written to give knowledge so that they can recognize error, give them instruction so they can recognize, whoa, this isn't right, this is false teaching. First Peter deals with external opposition, that, that persecution is coming from outward. Second Peter is written to deal with internal opposition. Satan was in the church and causing problems and, and having people teach false, false things. Um, first Peter is written to give hope in the Lord's return, and it it calls attention to the Lord's return. Second Peter is giving a certainty to the Lord's return. And we'll deal with that in a little bit. First Peter urges them to walk in holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And Second Peter urges them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. First Peter deals with reminding them there is pain with a purpose. Second Peter is mentioning to them there is poison in the pew. First Peter urges them to stand firm in the grace of God. 
Second Peter urges them to grow in the grace of God. Um, these comparisons, uh, a number of them came from Jensen's survey of the New Testament. But in, in, as you read through it, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, if you keep these comparisons in mind, it will help you understand the letter of it. But if you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 13. Here, the second letter that Peter is writing, and he's coming down to the conclusion, and he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And incidentally, that's exactly what evolutionists say. All things continue as they were from the beginning. That's why they say it took millions and millions and millions of years for the Grand Canyon to develop. Because everything is has just continued as it is since the beginning. Notice what he goes on. For this they are willfully ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So that brought, he's talking about the flood, that brought a major disruption In the earth. So it wasn't as it was since the beginning. God brought judgment that radically changed all of the earth. And he's explaining. But the heavens, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
So he's, he's reminding them of what is going to come, what is going to happen. And uh, God brought judgment on the earth once. He's going to bring judgment again. But he, he is emphasizing to them some important truths that we will, we will touch on here in a little bit. But I, wanna, I want us to look at some applications overall that we can take from First and Second Peter. Number one application that we can take from this. Remember, this is God using Peter to record these. And we can take from this, you can be used of God and have victory in your life despite past failures. If there was anyone that should not be writing, humanly speaking, letters to other believers, Peter very easily could have beat himself up and said, who am I to write anything to anybody because I so miserably failed my Lord when I denied him. That's the very reason Jesus Christ came to forgive our sins. And yet there are many people that believe they can't walk in victory, that they can't be used of God because of of past failure. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, Peter said that we are called to show forth the praises of God in saving us. There, There are, and probably there are people here today that your past is preventing you from walking in victory and it's preventing you from from being used of God, not because God is doing that, but because you are. You are keep you keep going back to your past. And Peter stands as a living example of an individual that his past could very easily cut the legs off from any testimony that he had if he let it. But he understood there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and God has made me a new man, and a just man falls seven times, but he rises up again. And the reality is, if it were up to any of us, God could never use any of us. But it's the grace of God. We'll be talking more about about the grace of God, but this is a living testimony that don't let Satan keep bringing up your past. Your sins are forgiven, and and our past may leave scars and it may bear consequences, but God can still use us abundantly for His honor and glory. So we take that away first and initially. Secondly, it's important for us to understand that difficult times should not shake our faith. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1, back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and and again, remember, he's writing this. So you picture them, they, they, they got this scroll and they're reading it and and they're fleeing for their lives. They don't know who's next that's going to die. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He, you notice he said, you have trials that have come into your life, but God is in control of those trials, and that is not going to, it is not going to disrupt the fact that you will not get your inheritance. It does not disrupt the fact that you have waiting for you an eternal glory. He's saying these trials for a short time. Now picture if you would. Here we are. This is our life today. In the past, there are roughly 6,000 years of human history that has taken place before we come up to where we are today. Now, we have before us the rest of our life and all of eternity. And he said here, this trial for now for a little while. When you compare our life on a time scale from the beginning of creation... Through eternity, our life comes to about this width right here. Seriously. For all eternity, the, the 80 years you may live, or some have lived longer than that, and, and Peter's calling it into reality and he's saying, wait a minute, we have all of this. He's not minimizing the trial but he's helping them step back and see the big picture. It's easy that today can loom way larger than it really is. And he said, don't let what you're going through today shake your faith. God is still on the throne. He is still in control. And, and he said, and don't be surprised at the trials 1 Peter 4.12, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which, which will come to you. So he's encouraging them. See the big picture. This, Yes, it is a difficult trial, but it's for a little time. And he said, and don't be surprised at the trials. Um, Satan hates everything about Christianity. And when you identified with Christ, you became an enemy of Satan. And so there will be, there will be trials. 
a number of years ago, after an extensive tour in the United States, the late well-known German pastor and theologian Helmut Thickel was asked what he saw as the greatest defect among American Christians. And he said, I believe it is an inadequate view of suffering. It's easy for us to get the idea, if I get Christ, he'll make life wonderful, he'll make life better. There is suffering that comes in life, period. And there is suffering that comes in the life of a Christian because you are a Christian. And again, let me remind you, he is writing this to believers that are under persecution. I would love to say that we'll never, uh, we'll never experience that, but the way I see the attitudes in our world going today, that day may come in our lifetime. And he said, don't act like, what is going wrong? Why is this happening? He said, there will be trials. But our faith is in God. And nothing can touch God and nothing can change God. And this was at a time, there were Christians that were being burned every night in Nero's gardens. They, they used Christians to light his gardens Light meaning to provide light by burning them. It was a fiery trial, and and it was easy for them to have their faith shaken. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. We read it earlier. He said, in the last days, scoffers will come and say, yeah, 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 where is the promise of his coming? Looking, Look at this. Christians are still being persecuted. I don't believe this stuff that Jesus is coming again. Understand, when Jesus said he's coming again, nothing is going to stop it. And we may go through some very deep trials, but he said, don't let that shake your faith. God is not slack concerning his promise. When he promised something, he's going to fulfill it. And Christmas is a reminder of that. In Genesis 3, he said he would send his son, born of a woman. And all these years, it never came, never came, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And we're celebrating that at Christmas. And God also said that he would send his son a second time. And that's what Peter's reminding them. Don't think... God's program has gone off the rails. Don't let it shake your faith. He said, I understand you're going through severe trials, but God's using it to purify. God's using it for his glory. We also learn from these books of Peter that attacks will come from the outside and from the inside. We mentioned it already, but the reality is that there are forces of darkness that seek to attack. But in Second Peter, he said, there are also false teachers coming up among you. 
that will destroy the very working of God. And, and he said that it is important for us to, to guard the truth that has been given to us in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and through the verses there, he reminds them that we are to guard our faith, we are to build our faith. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, turn there, we didn't read all this far, but verse 17, 2 Peter 3:17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also from, fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Notice the, the responsibility he puts on us. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is going to prevent error. It is grace that's going to empower us. But that responsibility is us. He said, no, you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that really can destroy us is us. God's given us every tool to, to deal with the attacks from outside. He's ever given us every bit of truth to deal with the attacks from inside and the only thing that will bring defeat is if we fail to appropriate the grace of God. And that brings us to the fourth lesson. God promises grace. First and second Peter, in these short little chapters, ten times he references the grace of God. And in first Peter chapter five, and verse 10, you notice what we read. First Peter 5 and verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is calling attention to the grace of God. And he's saying, I know what you're going through, but I am, a, I am availing you to the grace of God that this grace that God gives will perfect you, will establish you, will settle you, will strengthen you. Grace means undeserved favor, and it also means Divine enablement. It, it, there's, there's two sides to the coin of grace. It is undeserved favor. And it is divine enablement. That God enables us. It's His grace that enables us to do His will. And He's, a, he's appealing to them. I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. Second Peter chapter 1 he tells us how to grow in grace. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and so on. That's our responsibility. To grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. 
the grace then, as we appropriate God's grace in our life, the grace of God gives us confidence. The grace of God gives us courage. The grace of God affects our, our conduct. And, and much of, of 1 Peter, he deals with the conduct. He says, this is how you ought to respond to your governmental authorities. These were the authorities that were persecuting him. He said, this is how you ought to respond to a church. This is how, wives, you ought to respond to your husbands. Husbands, this is how you ought to treat your wives. Slaves, this is how you ought to respond to your masters. And, he, and all of it is based in grace. You won't be able to respond to those persecuting you by submitting to them unless you have the grace of God. That won't come naturally. And all the way through, he's saying grace will be manifested in your conduct and how you deal with other people. <clears throat> and <clears throat> it, 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 then, as we know the grace of God at work in our life, then it empowers us to do his will. And then we have a peace and a confidence that he wanted to encourage these believers in. But he also reminds them that will, it will all end well for believers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, we read it earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, we have a living hope. It is reserved in heaven for you. It does not fade away. It is kept by the power of God. And he's saying, Yes, it's difficult now, it's difficult beyond measure, but this is what you have ahead of you. The best is yet to come. And, and in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, because of that, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's encouraging them, and he's saying, in just a matter of time, it is eventually, Jesus Christ is coming, and you will be restored, <clears throat> and you will walk in victory, and there'll be no battle, no more battle, and the reality is, because that is our future Gird up the Lord in your mind. Be strong. Be mentally strong in the Lord. And, and don't give in to, is it worth it? Should I continue with the Lord? Because Christ is coming. Notice if you look in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. <clears throat> he just had said, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. All these things that you see will be dissolved. And because of that, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness 
And what should we be doing? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, all this judgment is going to come on earth, but we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our future. Righteousness does not dwell in our land today, in our world today. But he says there's coming a day where righteousness reigns. And he said that's our future. And he said I don't want anything to shake you in your faith. People say, yeah, 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 we've heard he's coming again, but he's not coming again. He hasn't come all these thousands of years. He said, don't let that shake you in your faith. God is not slack concerning his promises, and everything will end well for believers. That ought to encourage us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is the only time I can serve God. It's the only time you can serve God. And come what may, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. There's coming a day. It's reserved in heaven. It is kept by the power of God. You are not kept by your works. You are kept by the power of God. And it is reserved for you And someday it will be yours. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be strong in the Lord and be of good courage. For he is our commander. He is the one that will come and melt the elements of the earth and create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What a glorious future for every believer. But the question is, are you a believer? Have you personally called upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins? And then if you are, are you growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord so that whatever trials you go through, you will have the power of God enabling you to live a life with unshakable faith, with character that glorifies God, and with conduct that points to our Savior. And Peter is encouraging them. He's he's exhorting them to be unmovable in their faith because the best is yet to come. Heavenly Father, I pray that we truly would Have a faith in you that is unshakable. Lord, you alone know the trials that some are going through even now, and you alone know what the coming days and weeks and months and years may hold for all of us. But I pray, first of all, that everyone here has placed their faith in you. Lord, I pray if there is one that has never personally cried out to you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of forgiveness. 
And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today that we would take serious our responsibility to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we would have the power to respond to the trials that come into our lives, that we'd have the power to endure the trial of our faith, and that it would come forth as pure gold, purified for your honor and glory. Lord, we plead your mercies for the implementation of these truths. And I pray as we go over 1 Peter this week in our personal time alone with you and 2 Peter, Lord, I pray that that it would build our faith and put the roots of our faith deeper that whatever storms of life may come, that we would know the power of you at work in our lives. So, Lord, we praise you for the privilege to know that you are in control, that you will make all things work together for good, and that we can trust you that the best is yet to come. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's